I'm going to read out of one passage of scripture out of James chapter 5, and I want you to go there. It's on the screen. You can look on the screen. We're so honored you're here today. All of you watching online, let us know where you're watching from, where you're joining us, and we'll give you a gift. If you send a little something our way, tell us who you are, where you're from. We'll hook you up with a little Oasis merch. We'll give you something. We want you to know we love you. We're glad you're here watching. And I think there's something to be said about having a good attitude. An attitude is everything. The difference between obstacles and opportunities is one word, attitude. Every opportunity has difficulty and every difficulty has opportunity. Listen to James chapter five, verse 11. It says, you know we, we call those blessed, happy, spiritually prosperous, favored by God, who were steadfast and endured difficult circumstances. Now think about what he's saying. People who go through stuff they can still be blessed and happy and prosperous even though they've gone through difficult circumstances. Have you heard about the patient endurance of Job? And you have seen the Lord's outcome, how he richly blessed Job. The Lord is full of compassion and he's full of mercy. Have you heard about the patience of Job? I wanna to talk to you this morning about slow your row. That's right, slow your row. Turn to your neighbor and say, slow your row, cowboy. That's a man on the left. Go to the woman on your right and say, slow your row, cowgirl. And wait on God to do amazing things in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light, and we're going to trust you to do what only you can do. Give us the desires of our heart. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's men and women said, Amen. You could be seated this morning. And as you sit down, would you give the worship team one awesome round of applause? Thank them. I also want to uh, personally thank all of the media staff in the back, Valerie Smith, the team. Uh, you weren't in the first service, but we had a power surge. Everything went dead. The team, I was up here with the Mr. Microphone. The team were singing. I mean, it was amazing. And that's why those songs were picked again, because in that first service, it was just such a sweet moment. But it's because of wonderful volunteers and people here that do not stop because of a power surge or anything like that. They keep on going. Let's give them another Another round of applause. Thank you, team. This is a new facility that we took on, but this building is old. I mean, this building has a glass jaw. I mean, it's old, it's, and we crammed a Ferrari in a Pinto. I mean, the building's old, but all this stuff is just super high-tech, and, and you're mixing it with old-school stuff, so it has its issues when surges and stuff happen. Have you ever had trouble waiting? How many of you, let's, let's take a poll this morning. How many of you like waiting? Let, let me see your hand. You like waiting? Anybody in here just like to get into traffic? I mean, you just, you just, you do not get on the freeway until it's a traffic jam. Anybody here like that? Anybody just love long lines? I mean, they could be a, a short line, but you just refuse to go in that short line. You only want the long line because you like to wait. Anybody like for the buffeting of the internet, the circling, because you're waiting for it to catch a signal? Anybody like that? Let me just see your hand. I can see a, a few of you. Ushers, would you go see if they're from this earth? Now, how many of you have a problem with patience, being very impatient? Let me see your hands this morning. Some of you have got both hands and a foot up. We have trouble in the society which we live in about being impatient. You know you're impatient when you're standing in front of the microwave screaming, hurry up. You got a problem. You know you're impatient when the instant coffee is just not quick enough. 
You know you're impatient when you put the Pop-Tart in the toaster and before it even pops back up, you pop it out, pop it in your mouth, and then you're doing this. Because you can't, you refuse not to eat it and you got to eat it and it's piping hot. I'm not saying I'm impatient or I eat all types of fast food every day, but the other day I found myself, I came to the mailbox at our house, I ordered in the mailbox and I drove around the house until the girls brought my food out. I mean, it was like fast food mentality on display. We live in a society that is impatient. We have so much access today to so many things. We can have instant access to the world today. I don't even know why they build libraries anymore when we have phones and, and things that you can pull right up and have at your disposal instant gratification and instant information because we are in an impatient society. Let's take that to the things of God. We become impatient when we pray. We become so impatient. Now we have a church mentality where people are coming by the droves. Millions of people are being served, but nobody's being fed. We live in a society that everything we want it now. But the problem is we are in electronical age, but we honor an agricultural God. The God that we're talking about today, he's not a God of the quick stuff. He's a God of the planting stuff. He's a God of the reaping and the sowing. And there's something about patience because Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew something. They shall renew their strength. And I thought about that a lot because that scripture I have trouble with because if you wait on stuff, you become impatient quickly if you're like me, a type A person. But there's something about waiting where you can be productive in it. I think Job is a great idea of how you can be productive and be patient, even though you've gone through many things. It's important to know because Job is an example of how we can be a person that goes through all types of calamity, all types of issue, and still overcome because we've experienced this great power of patience, slowing our role, waiting for God to do something. So who is Job? Let's take a biography test for just a moment because many people, they don't know Job. They don't know the story of Job, but let me tell you a little bit about him because who was he? Nobody really knows who he was. Where did he live? No one really knows that. What nationality was Job? No one knows that. Where did he live? The Bible says he lived in a place called Uz, U-Z. You can't find it in the geographical location of the Bible in the Old Testament or New Testament because God's presenting a man who is literally like a universal man. A man whose faith and endurance would establish forever a benchmark of what a good attitude and having grit and not quitting and not giving up what it really looks like. So let's observe Job's resume. Because if we were going to look at Job's resume, you've got to know a little bit about him. The Bible says that he was perfect and he was upright. That Job literally was a man that feared God. He loved God. He was a good person. The Bible says that he shunned evil. That he didn't like the evil things. He didn't like stuff coming his way that was negative and all, and all downcast. That's what the scriptures say you and I are to be. Not to let that stuff overwhelm us. Psalms 97.10 says, you who love the Lord, you are to hate the evil things. You say, well, Joey, man, that sounds intolerant. And there's one thing this generation today is not intolerant of anything. As a matter of fact, we tolerate everything. But I wouldn't want to go to a doctor who is tolerant of diseases. 
As a matter of fact, I had to go to the doctor last week, and I go to Kaiser, so I didn't want to go to the one in Stockton because our city center's right next door. And every time I go there, I always see people that know me, and they're always concerned, why are you here? Why are you here? What's wrong? And so I had to have a physical because I turned 25. And so I had to go do a physical. So I said, Jennifer, I don't want to go to Stockton. They all know me here. They all say, and then they start talking. I think the pastor's sick. I think he's getting a hairpiece. He's doing something. So I said, get me down to Modesto. Nobody will know me there. So the first thing I do when I go to my appointment, hey, pastor. Everybody in Modesto knows the bald man, too. And so I go in, and I'm filling out all the stuff to have a physical, and they're looking at my chart, and they say, do you have this going on, this going on? No, no, no. And then I told them, well, I, I, you know, I want to be checked out for this. I want long life. I'm just believing. And I, I would want him to take everything on my chart and be intolerant of it. If I had any issues, if I had something that I wanted to be checked out, I'd want that doctor, that physician to do everything in his power and be intolerant of what was wrong, for, what was wrong with me. Thankfully, the only thing wrong with me is this. A little loco en la cabeza. But I wouldn't want to go to that doctor and him, and I'm all jacked up. I mean, I can barely walk. I can't breathe well. And I'd stagger into that doctor's office, and he doesn't even examine me. He doesn't even look at me and say, oh, I'll take an aspirin, grin, Joey and Barrett. You'll be fine in the morning if you live the night through. As a matter of fact, I'd want him to be intolerant of what I was battling and what I was going through. So you and I, the scriptures call us the righteousness of this earth. We are called to be intolerant of things that would take us down, things that would make us less than, things that would bring evil into our life. We're not here to go along and get along. I thought you knew. We are salt and we are light in a generation that is corrupt and dark. And it is the will of God for you to prevail in this society, this city, in your home, everywhere you go, you are called and created to be an overcomer. Can I get a hand clap if you believe that? That's pretty good. Let's think about this because Job was fabulously wealthy. That's what the scriptures say. He would have been a candidate for that old school show back in the 80s, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. I'm Robin Leach. Some of you don't know that, but that was an old school show when I was a little boy. I was the channel changer. My daddy said, get up and change the channel. No remote. I was the remote control. And then I was the rabbit ears, too, because all the stuff would only work if I was like this. Some of you don't know how that has to get down, but I mean, I, I, I understand that. And he literally has, the scriptures say, 7,000 sheep Job had. Not only did he have 7,000 sheep, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys plowed his field, 3,000 camels carried his products to the marketplaces of the world. He was wealthy beyond measure. But Job never forgot where his source of wealth came from. He knew it came from God. That's why Deuteronomy 8.18 said, It is the Lord who gives you and I the power to get wealth. The job you have, the creativity you have, the expertise in the area that not many people have, God gave you that. The Lord of the universe put that on the inside of you, and he gave you that job. He gave you that spouse. Don't, don't get all mad at them and remember, God gave you that spouse. God gave you that husband. God gave you those children. I know sometimes they look like they can spit speed 
pea soup out and 360 with the head. That's because they're teenagers. They'll get over it and they'll get you to a place and say, oh, you're the smartest person ever. But I want you to know God gave you those things. It is he who gives you the power to be prosperous and be healthy and wealthy. Amen. Because health is not about just things. You can have lots of things and be a miserable, miserable person. But Job was a praying father. That's important to know because the Bible says he had seven sons, three beautiful daughters. And even though he was fabulously wealthy, he prayed for his children every day. The scriptures say he offered up burnt offerings for every one of those sons and daughters every single day. And here's why he did it. He says it. He said, it may have been that my sons have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. Job recognized something, that you can curse God in, not only with your mouth, but also with an ungodly attitude. Oh, that's amazing to me. He knew this attitude. We talked about it last Sunday when God takes me to places that I never thought I'd go and hell breaks loose. I'll be refined by this and not defined by it. I'll come out wiser, stronger, pure like gold. Job knew that, and he knew that a godless attitude, an attitude that was not grateful, that was not thankful, would cause calamity. The reason we're having issues in our society is not a political issue of a liberal and a Republican. It's not a gun issue to take guns off the street and red flag laws. All those things are symptoms to the main problem. The problem is the father has left the home. Over 70% of African-American children each and every Every day go home to a fatherless house what's the problem the problem is the society in the home has been broken down where the father's no longer there that's why it's so important for us who are people of faith that love God to take on the kids to take on the fatherless generation and let the spirit of adoption come on them where they cry out Abba father and we become father to the fatherless I think that's so important because some of you in this room know what it's like not to have a dad growing up. Some of you know what it's like not to have a good mom growing up. I know what it was like not to have a father growing up or a mother because she was too sick to take care of me. So what's the solution for America? The solution for our lives, the nation that we live in, is not for this person to get elected and this person to get reelected only. It is you and I taking ownership, showing empathy, getting engaged, adding value, and igniting hope each and every day. That's the answer. It will always be the answer. That's why we have things that we do. But Job had something happen to him that a lot of people don't understand. He had a dramatic encounter with evil. One day God said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan replies, going to and fro from this earth. He was walking up and down the earth. What he really was saying is I was a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom I may devour. He was looking for marriages to devour. He was looking for homes to disrupt. He was looking for bodies to put sickness and disease on. He was looking for ministers to take out of the ministry. He was looking for churches to destroy. He was looking for good things to be decimated and destroyed. I want you to get that picture because the conversation is taking place in heaven. Satan's not locked up in hell. He still has access to heavenly realms even today. And here's what we really have to understand. It was God who pointed Job out to Satan. That's very important. Satan is the accuser. That's what the Bible says. God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him. Satan, whose very name means accuser, comes back with slander for his response. Does Job serve God for nothing? 
Think about that statement. Does Job serve God for nothing? He didn't make a direct accusation, but he asked a slanderous question. Does Job serve God for nothing? He insinuated that Job's motives in serving God were tainted. They were tainted. That's why slander is an art form. Slander is the man or the woman who murders another person's reputation, not directly, but indirectly. The slanderer is a killer of good names, a killer of people's hearts and lives by saying, I heard, did you hear this? So-and-so said, thus saith the Lord. Oh, oh, in Jesus' name. It always happens because he's an accuser of the brethren. He stands before God day and night, accusations and taunting the people of God. That's why, aren't you glad you got a defender? Your defender is not a priest. It's not a pope. It's not a pastor. Your defender is the Lord Jesus Christ who defends the righteous day and night before the throne. I like that because it just keeps on coming. He keeps on accusing. He keeps on. And Jesus goes, get behind me. That's my son. That's my daughter. That's my beloved. That's my I died for them. I called them. Not by what you've done. Not by what you can do. But because of who he is and what he has done for you. That's amazing to me. Notice Satan's cunning slander. He doesn't attack directly. As a matter of fact, he knows that a direct accusation can be rebutted by truth. That's important to know because God has already said that Job was perfect and upright. So Satan couldn't challenge that, so he sought to attack Job's motive. He said, look, Job doesn't serve you for no reason. Look at his wealth. Look at his flocks. Look at his health. Look at his herds. Look at his possessions and his family. Anyone would serve God with that type of bonus package. Job only serves you because you blessed him. That's what some people do, even Christian television. They'll get on their TV and they'll start talking Satan's logic to raise money. They'll say, oh, if you give me money, you'll get rich. That's not biblical prosperity, no aversion of let's make a deal. God's not running a divine lottery. Why should we give to a ministry? I can tell you why. You give because you believe in the message and you believe in the messengers. That's why you should give. Some of you obviously don't give or you would have said amen right there. Yo, stingy mingies you. You give because you love the Lord. You trust him. You love the master, not because you love money and you want to get rich. There's a world of difference. Some of you need to learn the principle of giving and then opening yourself up to receive. To receive what God has for you, not because you give to get, but because of who he is and who you are as a his child. And that's why we need to honor the Lord, not by serving. I got to serve. Those are not works. But we have to do no matter what comes our way in prosperity, but also when poverty can come. We have to do it no matter what comes our way. We have to make a decision and stand in that decision. Now think about this. Does Job serve God for nothing? The devil was saying, in effect, I know Job belongs to a church. I know he goes to Oasis Church because he's a prosperous guy. I know he tithes. I know he gives to the poor. I know he serves on the elder board even at the church. Everything you say, God, is true. But take away his mansion. Take away his seven-figure salary. Take away all his nice vehicles. Quit feeding him bonbons of blessings and all those bonuses. You, You quit doing all that, God, and he'll curse you to your face. So let's read between the lines here this morning. And let me just tell you really what Satan meant here. Here is Satan's reasoning. 
Since Job is the best you have, God, to offer on the earth. And since he serves you because he has a corrupt motive, he's not a good man. And if he's not a good man, then there are no good men at all. Job's a hypocrite. There is no goodness on the earth. And since there's no goodness on the earth, evil is no longer evil. That makes my lifestyle acceptable, even honorable, because I'm not a hypocrite. I'm the devil all the time. That's what he's saying. You hear that type of logic from people. Even today, I know that I'm not so-and-so, but you should really see them. I know that I'm not where I need to be, Joey. I know I've got my issues, but you should really see that person. They're all jacked up. Go lay your hands on them, Joey. Don't talk to me. It's the same thing. We're standard are not each other. Our standard is Jesus. Your standard of righteousness is not by the clothes you wear, the color of your hair, how long it is, whether you wear makeup or not, whether you say this prayer 70 times or this one one time. Our standard of righteousness is not a priest and not a pastor or not a pope. Our standard of righteousness is Jesus Christ, the one and only, the son of the living God. He is the answer, always will be the answer. Can I get a good amen in the house of God today? That's why the person who says, at least I'm not a hypocrite, really is one. When people tell me often, Joey, I don't want to come to church. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I say, hey, partner, we can always use one more. All of us are hypocrites. I'm the biggest hypocrite you'll ever meet. I don't like stuff. I'm opinionated. I can have my issues. I can have my diva moments. All of our self-righteousness, the scriptures say, are like filthy rags. You're not righteous by what you do, how you wear your hair, because look at me. None of those things matter. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So when things start to go, isn't that good? I know that's good. I know. So when things start to go wrong, you know, you can act one or two ways when things start to go wrong in your life. There's one way you can act when things start to go wrong is the way Job's responds, his Job's wife acts. Here's how Job's wife responds when calamity comes. Curse God and die. That's how she responds to trouble. The second way to respond is how Job responds. Job's reaction was different. Have you ever done that? You respond and you think it's already over. I mean, Jennifer, just the other day, we went into a store and she got into the car with the girls and I and she she thought she had left her phone into the store and so we were driving getting ready to get back on the freeway and she goes oh my gosh I left my phone I go oh wait let's call him and she goes oh no it's already gone they already stole it I'm like no let's call let me get back in the car we're gonna go back and get it and I said if anybody stole it come on my picture's on the front isn't that right And she's like, no, it's already gone. It's already gone. It's just over. I'm like, it's not over. So I'm trying to talk her through her doubt and unbelief. And then of all of a sudden, she's looking around. She goes, it's in my back pocket. And the girls and I got the biggest kick out of her giving up that. She didn't even try to go get it back. And then I thought to myself, wait a second. That phone is old. Maybe she wanted an upgraded phone. I was thinking, oh, devious, but I like it. 
So Job's wife's reaction when trouble came, oh, curse God and die. This is no good. Job's reaction was different. Job's reaction we talked about last Sunday, Job 23.10, it's on the screen. He knows the way that I take. He knows the steps that I take. And when he's tried me, I'm going to come forth as pure as gold. That refiner's fire in those days would get heated up so hot that all the impurities because of the heat would rise. And with a very fine screen, they'd skim the top of that gold off so it'd be absolutely pure. Job saying, if God turns up the fire hotter than hot, he's saying, let the refiner's fire purge me. Let the storms of life assail me. Let the darkness of evil surround me. Put me in the jail and I'll sing in the midnight hour. Surround me, Lord, with your precious touch. You try me in the lion's den. I'll lay my head down on a fur-lined couch and rejoice. Put me in the dungeon and the angel of God will come and take me out. Take me to the chopping block and with my last breath I shall say, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the course and it's going to be all right. Two different responses. But Job's great test, it really came unannounced. Our great test always, friends, come unannounced. I wish God would direct message me when a trial was getting ready to break loose. I wish I could open up my direct message or even old school newspaper or look up a, an ad and say, Joey Stillman, you are about to go through a trial at lunchtime today. Thus saith the Lord, sign God. Let me know I can prepare for that. I can say, okay, this is serious business. Let's get serious about this. But it doesn't happen that way. And I think this story, what I'm telling us today, proves something. That bad things happen to good people. Tragedy comes to everybody at some point in life. There's nothing common that, that's under man that people go through that somebody else hasn't walked through. That's why Jesus, I don't serve the Jesus that's the little, little cute one that, that's hanging with a halo and all that stuff. I serve the one that's scarred up. The one that has scars in his hands and his feet. The one that knows what it's like to be betrayed by those he walked with for three and a half years. That's the Jesus I serve who had to go through the trial, had to go through the agony of the cross, and he saw the joy that was set before him. He had to endure it. And the Bible says all who live that way, who suffer persecution, will reign with him. If you don't suffer with him, you can't reign with him. I think that's important because bad things happen. The Bible says Job was perfect. Some translations say blameless. It was, he was blameless. But what happens today? Let something bad happen to you. And always Job's little comforters will come. And they always start to bring that guilt trip on you when you go through a difficult moment. Especially when they get a little bit of God in them. They, they, they start bringing that guilt trip when you go through a trial. Job, it's a demon. Cough into the bag, Job. Let's get that demon out. Years ago, when I first started pastoring, I had some people that tried to come around and they were telling me, Joey, everybody, everybody in the church, they're all demon possessed and we got to get these demons out of these Christians. And I said, what? What have you been smoking? Demons out of the Christians. Yeah, they're demon possessed and, and God wants them free and get the demons out of them. And I said, what Bible are you reading? A Christian can't be demon-possessed. But here we go, going around. When tragedy comes or when things don't go our way and something goes bad, cough into the bag, it's a demon. Something Satan's going, I had nothing to do with it. 
You must not be saved, Job. You've went through that. That's because you ain't saved. You don't love God as much as that person who goes through with the crimson and clovers. You're not really saved, Job. That's what some people will say when you go through a trial. You're not really saved. That's it. You were never really saved. You're out of the will of God. I knew it. I knew it. That's why I started that phone ministry. To talk about how you're out of the will of God. I knew it. So let me ask you, which book of Job do you really believe? One that was written by the Holy Spirit or one that was written by one verse? And you know, there's a problem living your life with only one verse. The Bible says, with two or three witnesses shall they bring the accusation. The Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. The Bible tells us that when we have things that we need from the Lord, find the scriptures two to three so it builds the cord and strengthens. That's why it's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's what we call the divine trinity. That Father, that Son, that Holy Spirit, the threefold strand that's not easily broken. That's why John 1, Jesus was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. The Word dwelled among us. In verse 12, we said, beheld the glory of the begotten that was with us. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they become that threefold strand that's not easily broken. So which book of Job do you believe? The one that God wrote by the strength and breath of the Holy Spirit? Are by one verse, Job 3.25, where Job said, For which this thing I've greatly feared have come upon me. And then many people take this whole teaching and say, Job brought it on himself. That's wrong. That's dead wrong. Job didn't bring it on himself. Why do we know that? The scriptures say in Job 1.22, from the beginning to the end, God confirms Job's integrity. And in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. What's important about integrity? It's whole. The word integral means whole. It's where we get the word integrity. It's a mathematical term. When something gets broken, it's not no longer integral because it's not whole, it's broken apart. And that's what many people live their lives when calamity comes, when trials come, situations come. It's now broken apart and it's no longer integral. And so they, they live their life off something that was broken apart and it's no longer whole. That's how people slander one another and they don't even mean to do it. It's not even malicious or intentional for most people, but they only hear part and they're not hearing the whole. That's why they're not integral. They're not, they don't live with integrity. We know Job didn't do it because if he would have done it, then it wouldn't have been whole. It would have been broken apart and it wouldn't have been integral. That's why God established the word with two or three and said, my man Job, he has integrity and he didn't sin and he didn't charge God foolishly. So the bottom line is this. God allowed Satan to afflict him. Job did nothing to cause it. And I think some of you need to hear that today because you're scratching your head. You're trying to pull up every ridiculous thing you've ever done and said and say, where did I miss it? Where did that go wrong? How come the enemy has caused this? Why? And I'm here to tell you, Life sometimes happens. Things we can't explain, things we can't defend, things we'll never understand. Job did nothing to cause it. And here's the essence of the whole book, quickly. God's sovereign. 
If God is not sovereign, then God is not God. If God is sovereign, that means God controls Satan every minute of every day. God has Satan on the end of a leash and he cannot go one step further than God allows him to go. Bad things happen to good people. And you know what? Sooner or later, if you live for the Lord long enough and you don't play those games religious where you jump in, jump out, but you really, you really stand fast and firm in your confession when you live for it long enough, things will happen to you. You're not going to be able to explain them. Things like a death of your spiritual father. You won't, you won't be able to explain that. I don't care how theologically deep you get. When we lose a child, you can't explain it. When you have loss, suffer, some things can't be explained. You'll experience something for which there's no understanding, no explanation, and the preacher can't explain it to you, and you'll simply have to do this. Are you ready for it? God, I trust you in due time. God, you'll let me know what you had in mind. And you're going to have to learn, friends, to trust in the Lord. And if your theology will not support that, then your theology will not endure the storms of life. You just have to literally sometimes go, I trust in the Lord with all my heart. I will not lean into my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge Him, and He will direct my path.